glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. James chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea. And your nay, nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if you have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another. And pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Thank you. You may be seated. If we were to read on, you can read in verse 20, Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save his soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. It has the idea of this whole context uh, of, of Scripture here of guarding how we use our tongue, of course, in verse 12. And then when there's sin, how we respond to that. And I really believe, as studying the context of Scripture, there's a lot of different ideas about the laying on of the hands and the anointing of oil. In the context, it sure seems to me that the sickness is related to sin. Not, God, not all sickness is judgment for sin, and not all sin is judged by sickness, but the Bible does make it clear that one of the chastisements on God's children is sickness related to sin. 1 Corinthians 11 deals with this. And in this context, that is there. And then he deals with, generally in verse 16, the idea that when it comes to one another, we need to be honest and true about confessing our faults one to another. Now, this, when we read this, and I don't know how your mind works, but you might immediately think of, okay, so I'm supposed to find me a confession partner and on a regular basis tell you all the things that are wrong with me. I don't think that's what it means either. And what I think doesn't matter, it's when we study into the Bible and find out what the meaning of the word confess means. Even in 1 John 1, 9, when we hear, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess, I'm going to give you a couple of definitions, one from the Strong's Concordance and the other from the Webster's Dictionary, the 1828 Dictionary. In the Strong's Concordance, the word confess means to acknowledge or by implication of assent to agree fully, to confess or profess or promise. So it, it carries the idea of, of giving assent. Something is stated to us and the confession. So it would be like confessing a murder. You've committed the murder. The prosecutor brings the evidence before you and says, this is the evidence we have. We know you are the murderer. To confess is not to find you. I mean, you could go find someone and say, this is what I did but it gives more the idea that you are agreeing with the evidence brought before you and assenting to the fact that, yes, this is truth concerning me. And the same in First John, it almost carries the idea of to agree afterwards is one of the definitions you can see for the word confess. So someone has stated something. What is our typical response when a fault of ours is pointed out? I said typical, so maybe I should say natural. I don't know what your natural response is. My natural response is to go, no, to, to defend or to deny would be the antonym of confess. And if it's not a fault, we certainly don't need to confess it, but that's, that's not what he's dealing with. He says, confess your faults one another 
and pray one for another that you may be healed. Uh, I believe this. The matter of genuine Christian love does not mean you have people who have no faults. It means people learn, because we're in the family of God, how to deal with one another's faults. That's what it means. You know, any of you have been married any length of time, you didn't marry a person who has no faults. Now, they may have married a person who has no faults, but you didn't marry one without any, right? Uh, no. What, happen, what love does is it learns how to deal with faults. It learns how to deal with your own, and we must learn how to deal with someone else's. How many of you have found this to be true? And I want to be careful with this. I want to be wise with what I say, because some people could take this and run with it and just be ornery and mean. But uh, how many of you know that pretending someone else doesn't have faults is not really the loving way to go. Because what what that turns into is deceit. When we pretend that another person doesn't have faults, then we may be pretending we don't have any. And that doesn't do any good. That's Walt Disney World, and that's fantasy, not reality. And we have to learn to live in reality. And so I'm going to begin tonight with this point. uh, James 5.16 starts with the reality of our faults. That's the first point of our outline tonight the reality of our faults. He doesn't say if anybody maybe had a fault, he just assumes human beings have faults. The only person I can find in the Bible that it is stated of them repeatedly that they could find no fault in him is the Lord Jesus Christ. He was tried and the Pilate could find no fault in him. The only other person I can think of is Daniel in the Old Testament when the other three presidents were examining him, trying to find some area where he was faulty in his deportment. They couldn't find a fault. doesn't mean Daniel was sinless. What it does mean is he was blameless. He couldn't, there wasn't an area where they could point out and they said, if we're going to find fault, it's going to have to be concerning his God. We're going to have to make worshiping God illegal before we find something wrong with this guy because that's all he does. And so we find Daniel in the Old Testament as someone they couldn't find fault in. But in the New Testament, only the Lord Jesus Christ, you could not find fault. If you start studying and we do study the Bible, you find that Moses had a fault. He had faults. We find that Noah had faults. We find that Abraham had faults. Abraham lied when he went down to Egypt and when he went down into uh, Gath. And uh, we find that Isaac had faults and Jacob had faults. And we find that Solomon had faults. And we find that in the New Testament, James and John had faults. They wanted to be on the right hand and on the left. And their mother had a fault and Peter had a fault. He denied he knew the Lord. Uh, Shall we go on? The Bible doesn't hide that people God saves have faults, but he does tell us how to deal with them. And so let me give you just a little bit more definition before we get into these simple points. And very, very simple. We're just going to follow what the Bible has to say about our faults and specifically from this springboard verse that we are commanded to use our tongue, meaning there's going to be a time. This is the reality of this. There's going to be a time when a fault that we have is brought to light and it's brought to our attention And there's going to be time it's brought to our attention in front of another human being. And we're going to have to decide what we're going to do. We're going to have to make a judgment. Is the fault that's been brought up a reality? And if it is, what are we supposed to do with it? The counsel of God's word is confess it. If it's provable and you're faulty, own it. That's the idea. Confess. It's very simple instruction, but one that's very difficult we find, as far as the flesh is concerned, to put into practice because of pride. And so, yet it's here and it's instructed to us to do. How many have ever found it difficult to speak of your accomplishments? Now, sometimes people do find it difficult. They have a humble spirit about them. And 
Maybe somebody says, well, what did you do here? But normally, we don't have a difficult time dropping some hints about our accomplishments. And I said drop hints because that's no, we know it's wrong to boast, right? Uh, Christians know it's wrong to boast. You don't go around and say, man, you wouldn't believe today um, what I did. I'm just the greatest. I heard a guy on the radio the other day. Man, he was. He was very proud of the books he's written. He was boasting and how good they are, what wonderful books they are. And he was the author. I thought, wow, that's pretty brazen. But Christians know better. We don't boast. So what we do is we... Like we gossip, we drop prayer requests, we boast by praise reports sometimes. We should praise, but when I'm at the center of my praise reports, sometimes we're using that to boast or whatever it may be, but it's not difficult for us to tell what's good about ourselves. It's when it comes to confessing our faults uh, that it is, and, and I think we each would understand that. So let me, again, I'm to give you a couple of definitions here. The word fault, uh, as I did with... Uh, the word confess. I gave you one definition for the word confess. We'll give you the second one. Then we'll define the word fault. Uh, from Webster's 1828, confess means to own or acknowledge. Uh, to own, acknowledge, or avow, such as a crime, a fault, a charge, a debt, or something that is against one's interest or reputation. I'll read that again. To own, acknowledge, or avow as a crime, a fault, a charge, a debt, or something that is against one's interest or reputation. As we watch out in the world, it is very uncommon, very rare for someone to do that is pr- something that's provably wrong and simply to come out and say, this is what I did, the evidence is there, I own it, I, I, I did, and I was wrong for that. How many of you have seen perhaps on occasion a politician just straightforward own their error and what effect does it have on you when they do? I tell you what I do, I say, well, I don't know that person, but I'd vote for him tomorrow. Because it's so uncommon. It's so refreshing to see one be honest enough to avow or own something that hurts their own reputation that it's, a, it's an indication of good character and yet we have such a difficult time doing it. So to confess, to own, acknowledge, or avow as a crime, a fault, a charge, a debt, or something that is against one's own interest or reputation. The word fault in the Webster's uh, Dictionary means this. Properly means an erring or missing, a failing, hence an error, or a mistake, a blunder, a defect, a blemish, whatever impairs excellence. So anything that impairs excellence applied to things. Number two, in morals. So that is in things, it, anything that would, uh, that would impair the excellence of something is a fault. But in morals or deportment, any error or defect, so now this is applying to us, any error or defect and imperfection any deviation from propriety, a slight offense, a neglect of duty or propriety resulting from inattention or want of prudence rather than from design to injure or offend, but liable to censure or objection. The idea is it's not a premeditated transgression. Nonetheless, it's still wrong. It's something that is wrong and sinful. Uh, I believe in the Bible. The Bible talks about sins of ignorance in the Old Testament. Those might be called faults. Meaning, I didn't design to hurt you, but what I did hurt you. It wasn't my design, it wasn't my intent, but it was still wrong. And so that's, that's uh, understandably what's being dealt with in that definition. From the Strong's defini- uh, Dictionary, it means a side slip, a lapse or a deviation, unintentional error or willful transgression. So Strong says it can be a willful transgression. It still seems to not carry the idea of 
of intending to harm somebody. But it can be a willful transgression, uh, apparently. Uh, to, uh, so uh, the, to, uh, to fall or to have a fault, one of the base and root words of, of a fault is the word fail, to fail. So fall, fault, offense, sin, or trespass. And we'll see the word trespass interchanged in Matthew 18 with the word fault. And so the idea of a fault is the revelation of, of, of a failing on our part where we should have succeeded to do that which was right. So with those definitions, let's get into our message for tonight. We begin to say that we want to start with the reality of our faults. The Holy Spirit of God assumes in the house of God, people are not faultless people. One of the reasons people quit church, they say, well, I'm not going to go to a church where people are hypocrites. And you hear that excuse. And I understand getting offended at people who are two-faced and and putting on two different um, uh, appearances, one at church and one out in public. But there are many people who, have you ever met somebody like this? Let me back up just a little bit. They're 40 years old and they are waiting to get married. And that's not wrong. That's not wrong. But on occasion you'll meet somebody and you say, well, have you ever had anybody of interest? I did one time. But here's my list of 37 and a half things that they have to be before I'll even consider them. Now, you need some things. They need to be born again. They need to be submitted to God. They need to have, but how many of you know, if you're going to be a perfectionist on what this person, you know, this person has to have all these things, you're probably not going to get married. And there are people who do that with churches. Well, when I find a church where all the people are as good of a Christian as I am, I'll join it. Well, you'll probably never join one, right? Uh, I'll, I'll take part in that, and uh, I'll, uh, I'll serve the Lord with somebody when they meet all of these criteria, and they're looking for a faultless church or faultless Christianity. Some people do this in their own personal walk. They get to the point where they say, well, what it means to be a Christian is to never have a fault. No, it doesn't. What it means is when I have them, I deal with them appropriately. You see, let me ask you this. Let me try to place this in the right, in the right perspective. You can be walking on a right path in a right direction and slip while going the right way. That's different than walking on a wrong path. There are people that have decided the Lord Jesus is, they know the Lord Jesus Christ is their Savior. They are submitted to His authority. They desire to do His will. They are pursuing His will. And in the process of doing that, in weakness, or perhaps one day they get out of sorts and out of a willfulness, they veer, they fall, they stumble and get out of God's will. Uh, generally, I think faults deal more with weakness than they do wickedness. There's different. But in weakness, we will fail. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. And so that's what we're dealing with. God assumes there are going to be faults among you. And so then, uh, how do we deal with those? Number one, we must understand they are present. And that's what we've been dealing with. But number two, faults are personal. He said, confess your faults one to another. Faults are personal. Now, they can be, they can be collective. Paul will tell the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that there was utterly a fault among them. They said, you've got, you've got an error. You've made a misjudgment. You fouled up in your deportment, the way you're dealing with some things in the church. There may be at times preachers that come and preach to Bonners Ferry Baptist Church, and they, under the leadership of God's Holy Spirit, may begin to point out faults in our church. Areas where we're missing the mark as a church and how we're conducting ourselves. Areas where we have a weakness and therefore are failing to do something we ought to do or doing something we ought not to do. 
as a church, we would be wise to accept that and confess it if it's the case. But my point is, in this context, God is dealing with this from the standpoint that, that faults are personal. Whether it is the individual or the collective, my point is there are faults that have to be owned, either by the person, the individual, or by the church. It's not just some generalization. Everybody has weaknesses. No, these are, these are personal, precise Present tense things have to be dealt with. So the reality of them, they are present. We have faults. I do, you do. They are personal. And they are not always perceivable. Go to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Not all of us are readily aware of our own faults. Psalm 19. And I believe we go a long way to realize this, that We're not as savvy sometimes as knowing our own faults, our own errors, our own failures as we might think. In fact, I believe this. It is far easier for me to see what's wrong with you than it is for me to see what's wrong with me. I just believe that. I've I've seen that by life. I see it in the Word of God. The only way to see it really is to get it. you got to get a mirror. You have to get a mirror, and the Bible's a mirror. If you're going to see your own faults, you've got to start looking in that mirror and taking a good, hard, honest look. And, uh, and the, the Bible gives us a couple of things that are mirrors to us. I'll, just, I'll sidestep for just a moment because faults are not always perceivable, and that's what we find in the prayer of David here. If you do want to see your own faults so that they can be corrected and you can align with God's will for your life, the Bible says that it itself is a mirror. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth there. And that is in the context... Uh, that, that when we look in the Bible, it says, looking in a glass, we behold ourselves. The other mirror is other men. The Bible says, as in water, face answereth to face, so the heart of man to man. If you see a fault in another human being, turn that heart of that man around and let it be a look at yourself. Am I noticing that in them because it is actually in me? And so some mirrors we can look into to, to see these But we need the mirror because faults are not always perceivable. Psalm 19, verse 11, Moreover, speaking of the word of God, By them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? By the way, you ever err and think, Why do I do that? Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. David says, Lord, there's things that are, that are not perceivable, maybe not even to himself. That's why he said in Psalm 139, uh, verses uh, 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. But here he says, Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Lord, I can't even understand my own errors, but you do. And the point is, our faults are not always readily available to our conscience. Sometimes we're blind and have blind spots. And so then the reality of our faults, they are present. They are personal. They are precise, meaning they're not just general. Their faults are identifiable, but they're not always perceivable. And so then that's the reality of our faults. Number two then, uh, what is it that reveals our faults, the revelation of our faults? What brings to reality the reality of those faults into our view? First of all, the Word of God. We've already dealt with that. Go to 1 Corinthians 6 now, if you would. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Nothing will reveal error in my life like the Word of God. 
That's what David's saying in Psalm 19, uh, you know, that, that it's the word of God that, that uh, reveals uh, the, the, the error, the sin in our lives. We know that's true. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so it is the word of God. But here, 1 Corinthians 7, in a very practical way, and I want you to ponder on this for just a moment. I want you to, to place yourself as a member of the church of Corinth. You are a part of this church that the Apostle Paul has started, and he's going to start writing. He has written an epistle directly to this church, and by the time you get to chapter 6, everybody is squirming. Because in chapter 1, he says, I hear there are divisions among you. Do you think the Corinthians knew there were divisions among them? Well, sure they did. Now, they maybe all had justified that. But Paul said, I hear there are divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Somebody had tattled on the Corinthians and told Paul, there's some problems over there at Corinth. Those people are all divided up in cliques. There's this clique and this clique, and they're all uh, gravitating around a personality. And Paul did not write to them and say, Corinthians, I've heard there's some difficulties in your church. I trust you know what they are. Work on them the best you can. He got very specific. That's chapter 1, chapter 2, the same. He tells them in chapters 1, 2, and 3, you're carnal. You're carnal. That was the wording of the Spirit of God through Paul. Chapter 5, he gets into dealing with a man in the church living in fornication. The man knew who he was. Everybody else knew who he was. And he deals with that. Chapter 6, he says this. Uh, He says in verse 7, Now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law with one another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Do you think there were actual literal people in the Corinthian church going to law with each other, suing each other in, 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 in the world's courts? Do you think they knew who they were? Now, can you imagine how uncomfortable this had to be? Here they is, Paul writing to the Corinthians, and the, the epistle gets read to the entire church, and he says, you've got a fault among you. Now the Corinthian church knows what their fault is. You know what revealed it? The Word of God. Paul was given the Word of God from the Holy Spirit of God. He pinned it down. And he wrote to them, and it revealed what was wrong. All scriptures given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, telling us where we're faulty, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. There was an application of God's word to them that revealed a fault among them. And of course, we could give a host of other verses where the word of God reveals faults in us. It's what it does. It shows us where we're wrong. And it gets very specific. The personal, precise, present tense fault of the church of Corinth was brought to their attention by the word of God. It made it very clear in the Corinthian church right now, some of you are suing each other in law. You know who you are and that's wrong. It's a fault. Now that didn't mean they weren't Christians. Paul's dealing with them saying because you're Christians, that's why this is a fault. Make sense? He's not saying you're not a church. He's saying, as a church, this is not correct. You don't do this. One of the things that we, we err in, I remember years ago, uh, someone said that we were teaching our children that people who smoke are going to hell. Now, the reason they said that is one of our children said, that guy smokes, he must be going to hell. So it was assumed we were teaching our children that. Well, no, we weren't teaching them that. But this is something I find. When faults are pointed out, we often take that as a condemnation of our entire person. The Lord Jesus said to the seven churches of Asia Minor, five out of seven of them, I have this for you and I have this against you. 
to the Ephesian church, you are holding fast good doctrine, but you've left your first love. Was he saying the Ephesian church wasn't a church? Was he condemning their faith, or was he saying this is a fault? This is, you, are, you are mine, but this is a fault. May I say this? We live in a very sensitive culture to where we, we can take a, a revelation of a fault through the Word of God as a condemnation of our person, and that's not what it is. It is a correction of our path. The revelation of faults in our life, if you're saved, you're saved. Nothing will change that. So the revelation of a fault is not condemnation of you. It is correction. How many of us need correction? I need correction. I I need it daily, truly. This is not rhetorical. I need God to show me daily. You're veering here. You're veering there. Straighten up here. And we need that. And so then the revelation of our faults, the first thing that reveals it, the foremost thing that reveals it is the Word of God because the other things we're going to see come out of the Word of God. The other thing that reveals faults is an injured brother. Go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. If you have a brother that's obeying the Word of God and there is a trespass, meaning someone's been injured through the fault of another person, then that person is supposed to come and say, this is what you did. And this is what was wrong, and this is how, you know, this is, this is the error that's been done. And so when we follow the Lord Jesus' instruction, his instruction is one brother is supposed to go to another brother and tell him his what? The fault. Between the two of them alone, this is the fault. This is what was done wrong. This is you know, how I was affected, whatever it may be. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Moreover... If thy brother shall trespass against thee. So he wrongs you in some way. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more. Then the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Uh, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree as touching anything on uh, that they shall ask, uh, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Verse 15, of course, is our emphasis, and that is, if your brother trespass against you, go and tell him his fault. How, How many of us would be guilty of saying something like this? Well, he knows what he did. Not necessarily. Have you ever wounded someone else and didn't know it? I have. Well, how could you? Oh, it's very easy. <laughs> it's not hard at all. So we say, well, they know what they did. Well, maybe not. I believe this. There are people that if you told them this is what you did and it was an injury, they would say, I am so sorry. I would never want to hurt you. I am, forgive me. I'm very, I'm very sorry. I didn't intend to hurt you. Now, I understand there's others that that's not the response, but the Bible says if a brother has a fault, the offended brother should go and say, this is what you did. So the one thing that reveals faults in our life is the very word of God. The other thing is a loving brother. An offended brother may come to us and say, this is what you did. So let's think about that. Let's say we're on the fault end, and we all will be at some point or time. I don't think you can avoid this. At some point in time in your Christian life, you're going to be at a point where you've hurt somebody. It may be your wife, maybe your husband, it may be a church member, it may be one of your children, it may be your parent that you've wounded. Somebody, you didn't do what was right toward them. You said something wrong about them, you humiliated them in the presence of someone else. Those are some minor things. You 
backbit them and they found out and now they're wounded and they're hurt. They think you backbit them, whatever it may be. The point is this, we use this to guide us in church discipline because it's the word of God, but this is just very practical. When, when we've hurt somebody, what if they come to us and say, this is what you did, you know what our first instinct is, defense mode, deny it. That's not what I did. I think the first thing we ought to do is listen. If a brother comes to us to tell us, let's hear it out, listen to it out, and let's do justice in judgment. If what they're bringing is factual and it's solidified in truth, then that brings us to James 5.16. If I can be convinced by their, by their argument of here's what was done, this is, this is why it was wrong, at that point I have one recourse. Own it. That's what it means to confess, to own it. This is what parents and children do. Parents, uh, when a child is to be corrected, I don't believe... As parents, we ought to be just flying off the handle and saying, well, that irritates me, so you... No, we ought to say, this is what was done. This is the rule. This is where you transgress the rule. Do you realize you were at fault? Right? How many of us know when we have a car accident, one of the things they do with investigations is to find out who is at fault? Meaning, you rear in somebody because you were fiddling with your phone and not paying attention. You may not have intended to hit that car in front of you, but you are at fault. Because through not being attentive to what we're supposed to do and not following the law, we, we were negligent and faulty. And there are times when we're faulty and an injured brother is going to come to us and say, I wouldn't be hurt right now and I wouldn't be damaged if you hadn't have said that or done that. Now help me this. this is, my dad pointed this out years ago. What is one of the number one reasons we might not go to a brother and say this is the fault? When when we do, here's what often happens. Well, yeah, I may have done that to you, and then they start pointing out our faults. So instead of anybody hearing about anybody's faults, we just act like nobody has any faults. And it's no good. It's no good because it's not true. So the Word of God reveals our faults. Injured brothers reveal our faults. Personal defeat reveals our faults. Sometimes our faults come to light because we're overtaken in them. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. We have a fault in our life, and it gets the better of us. That's the, that's the terminology we would use. Our fault, our, our faultiness, our weakness, our inattentiveness, our, our neglect of doing what is right caught up with us, and we were overtaken in a fault. The Bible says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, uh, ye which are spiritual, restore such in one, in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. The context here would be you're going to be able to tell that is a fault in that person's life and they fell to it. They failed in some area uh, where they should have succeeded to do what is right. So there are times our faults come to light because we succumb to them. We have a weak point in our lives spiritually and we yield to temptation. We were not guarded like we should be and we fail, we falter. And so then, all of these things reveal our faults. The Word of God, primarily. An injured brother who tells us between us and them alone, you're at fault. A personal defeat, an area where our fault comes to light because it's the life we're living. And so then, that's the revelation of our faults. So the reality, they're present and personal. They're precise, but not always perceivable. Uh, the revelation, the Word of God reveals them. An injured brother will reveal them. 
a personal defeat in our lives that just brings it into the public light reveals them. I believe this. Let me give you an example of a personal fault coming to light through just being overtaken. How many of us can study the Apostle Peter and pick up on a weakness in his life? Oh, I know his weakness, opening his mouth. Yeah, but there's a deeper weakness than that. Peter was very concerned what men thought of him. You can see that all the way through. Jesus said, Thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. And the night he denied the Lord Jesus, what was he? What was his fault? He was concerned about his reputation. He wanted Jesus to know, I'm the better disciple than all the other 11. They may all deny you, but not me. You got a good one in me, Lord. Very concerned that he was seen to be the better of the disciples. The Lord warned him, Peter, tonight you're going to deny me. He ignored the word of God. He was told to pray. He slept instead. All those things, you know, happened. And all of that revolving around Peter's perception concern about what men perceived him to be. Then the night of the denial, he is surrounded by the enemy and to convince them, I'm not one of his. He cursed and swore and acted like everybody around him. Now, Peter got victory over that. You know that when he was converted, he quit living that way. Amen? However, in the book of Galatians, sometime later after Pentecost, when Peter is there and some Jews from Jerusalem show up, what does Peter fall to? He defaults to his old ways, does he not? Here he is eating with Gentiles, but these men who put pressure on you, men who are very oppressive, if you would, he sees them show up, and instead of them being displeased with him, he withdraws from the Gentiles and acts like he agrees with the guys that just show up. And you know what Paul did? I believe he went to him in meekness and said to Peter face to face, Peter, you're wrong for what you did. You're at fault. You you hurt those Gentile believers just now. You were treating them like brethren until those guys showed up. And then you were more concerned about what those guys thought than what the Lord thought. And I'm telling you face to face, brother, that was wrong. You see how Peter was overtaken in a fault? He succumbed to his fault, to his weakness in his life. You know what helped him? A brother loved him enough to come to him and say, let me get you back on your feet. That was not the right thing to do. Now you can count on Paul to help you with that, right? Paul didn't have a problem telling you his fault, that's for sure. But you know why I think that is? Paul didn't have a problem acknowledging his own faults. Paul was willing to take rebuke from the Lord and correction and so forth. And so the the reality of our faults, the revelation of our faults, the repairing of our faults. First of all, if our faults are going to be repaired, we've got to have a contrition of heart like David did in Psalm 19. We have to have a desire not to pretend that we don't have faults, but to address them honestly, openly, and righteously. When our faults are revealed, instead of building a case against our faults, if there's a case that reveals them, we should submit to the truth. David said, pleaded with the Lord to cleanse him from secret faults. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. That's a contrite attitude. He knew there were faults present in him. He knew he had weak points. He knew there were things in him that God could see that he couldn't see. And he had a contrition of heart that said, Lord, you know where I'm weak. Help me. Mark 14, 38, watch ye and pray lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. It's faulty. Our flesh is faulty. It, it can't be trusted. It's, it's not capable of performing. So we have to have contrition of heart that says, I want help with my faults. I don't want to pretend I don't have them. May I say this, pie in the sky is the Christian, if that's the right way to say it. It's, 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 it's not reality to think, I will get to the place in my Christian life where I have no faults to deal with. You will when you get a glorified body. But not until then. 
Not until then. False will be part. Uh, His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And it begins with a contrite heart that says, I acknowledge I have faults. I, ev- look, every one of us as Christians have strengths. God has gifted many of you. Uh, every one of us is saved, is gifted, and you have strengths, but each of us have weaknesses. I have weaknesses. My wife has weaknesses. You have weaknesses. And these become faults. And may God help us to be contrite. I don't think the Lord wants any of us to have the attitude of Peter. Let me prove that I'm the greatest disciple. No. We are well off. We say, I know I have faults. Lord, show them to me. Help me with them. And and purpose in our heart, Lord, when you give me the correction and you reveal to me my faults, I'll own them. All right, so there's got to be contrition. There's got to be confrontation. Because faults are not always perceivable, there has to be confrontation. And I don't mean conflict, but I do mean... How many of us understand, when we hear the word confrontation, we immediately think, ah, that's a fight. No, 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 no. There can be confrontation without there being contention. Now, it's hard in American culture because we are so... We wear our feelings on our sleeves. We're so puffed with pride. It's very hard to take any level of indictment on ourselves. But we, we as Christians should be good at this. And it's something that God can help us be good at. We must know the only faultless one is the Lord. And so if we're going to walk with Him, He's going to have to confront us with our errors and, and straighten us up. If the Word of God is given for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, we can't cut those middle two out. Interesting to me, preaching is two-thirds negative. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove. You know what that is? Take the word of God and reveal faults. Rebuke. Exhort. With all long-suffering and doctrine. And so then, there must be confrontation. We must be confronted with the word of God, with what's wrong with us. And so then, that brings us to James 5.16. Either there's got to be confrontation through preaching. God will confront us, I'm sure, in our Bible reading. We're going to have to be confronted with a brother that's been injured by us. Amen? I believe we ought to purpose in our heart. If a brother comes to me and wants to talk to me about where I've erred, I will always give him a hearing. I'll listen. And we'll be better off for it. And so there's got to be confrontation. There's got to be contrition in our hearts, confrontation with the Word of God, with brethren. I believe this we got to be willing to say when my faults show up and I'm confronted with the reality of my life, when I'm confronted with the reality of my own insufficiency and weakness and confronted with not a brother, not with the Word of God, but my own failure, my own sin, I'm going to be contrite and accept from God the truth. So then contrition, confrontation brings us to James 5.16. There must be confession. I find it very interesting. And I'm not saying it's wrong to say this to God. But as a Christian, 1 John 1, 9 doesn't say, if we ask God to forgive us our sins, He will forgive us. He will forgive us. No, it says if we confess our sins. You know what that assumes? He's going to be showing them to you. And when you and I will humble ourselves and say, Lord, what you've shown me and told me about myself is true. And I agree with you. It's wrong and it's sin. You know what that is? Confession is the expression of repentance. It's the expression of repentance. Lord, you are right. How many of you know this is a skill we all could use some work on? See, I believe this. You know how we get to the point where there's not so many faults to confess? 
by confessing our faults. Nothing helps hold us accountable to our faults than getting them out in the open. By the way, most people could confess our faults before we do. Would you agree? Yeah. My wife could confess my faults to you, and she'd be spot on. She lives with me. And I could confess hers. But the fact is, when we confess our own, the Bible says if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged, 1 Corinthians 11. If we would take God's side when he points these things out in our lives, whether through scripture, preaching, reading, a brother, or our own failure, then there's mercy and there's forgiveness. And so I understand confessing our sins to God and confessing faults to each other. It's not the same. But when another human being is part of confronting us with our faults, God says, here's what you need to do. Confess your faults one to another. Own them up, own up to them to another Christian. When it's brought to your attention, own it. Take it, accept it, uh, and, and so forth. Let me read James 5.16 once again. James 5.16 once again. The Bible says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. When I read this, I cannot help but believe this is the other end of Matthew 18. Matthew 18.15 says, If your brother trespass, like brother trespass against thee, go to him and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. On James 5.16, he says, Confess your faults one to another. So when the brother comes and he makes the case and it's a fault, verbally, verbally acknowledge it. Now, how many of you have ever done this? Uh, this is something my parents, especially my dad, worked on a great deal, and he probably should have worked on it more. But that was when you've done wrong and the evidence is before you, and we would say something like this, wanting it all just to go away. I'm sorry. And it's okay to say sorry. It's, it's just good to be sorry. I'm sorry. He would say something like this. Sorry for what? Well, I'm sorry you're upset with me. <laughs> that's not confessing my fault. That's confessing his. You with me? Dad, I'm sorry you're upset with me. Well, why am I upset with you? Well, because you're overbearing and mean. I never said that. I like living. <laughs> I never said that to him. But that's often what we do. We go to somebody to apologize. We say, I'm sorry you were upset with me. You were saying you were wrong for being upset. No, that's not confessing my faults. It is to say, you pointed out I did this, and you're right. You're right to be mad at me. You're, you're right to be upset with me. I hurt you. I did this, and I was wrong for doing this. That's called confessing our faults. Uh, to your wife, I spoke hastily, and I was angry soon with you. I don't know of a man that doesn't need at some point in his marriage to confess that to his wife. I was soon angry with you. I assumed the worst of you, and it hurts you, and I'm, I'm telling it's what I did, and I was wrong. Well, that's hard for our flesh, but boy, it's good for us. God says, confess your faults one to another, and then what? Pray one for another. When someone confesses their fault to you, what's the recourse? <laughs> yeah, you did. You better believe it, and you don't know how bad it hurt. You know what to help? When they've confessed their fault, you go get on your knees and say, Lord, I understand how difficult what they did just was. And they've confessed this, what they did. Would you please help them? And would you help me to not do the same? Would you help me to respond correctly? Would you help me not to be bitter? Pray for them. If they've got a fault, pray for them. The idea would be 
the repairing of our faults is contrition on our part, confrontation on our part, confession on our part, but on the part of those who the fault is confessed to, careful consideration. By that I mean this, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual... By the way, carnal people cannot restore people that are faulty. Because you know what carnal people do with the faults of others? They use it against them. The carnal person is very interested in preserving their own reputation. So if I know something, some dirt on you, I'm not going to cover it. I'm going to reveal it. So it takes spiritual folk to, and there's a whole message on what it means to be spiritual. But you which are spiritual, restore such in one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself, but let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing himself, and not another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Again, so much can be said about that text, but what I want our, interest, our, our focus to be on is verse 1. If a man be overtaken to fault you, it's your spiritual, restore such one. Get them back on the path of righteousness, where they fell from, get them back... You're going to have to be, you're going to have to be meek. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is directing one's strength toward those who are weaker in a way not to damage them. Folks who are spiritual are stronger spiritually than those who are not spiritual. And a carnal person may fall and a spiritual need person needs to come along and say, look, you are wrong. You did do wrong. But any one of us could consider yourself. Any one of us could do what you've done, and it's truth. There's not another person you see fail that you and I are not capable of failing the same way or worse. So then you've got to be careful in your consideration. This person that's fallen is weak, so you at your spiritual use your strength not to keep them down in sin, but to help them get back on their feet and do what's right. And there's, again, a whole message could come out of Galatians 6 on that, but... There must be meek restoration. And then again, James 5.16, there must be intercessory prayer. Confess you false one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. That goes back to those that are sick and under chastisement from the Lord. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So tonight, one of the things we're supposed to use our tongues to do as a Christian is tattle on ourselves. No, acknowledge with our tongue what God has shown to us is error in our lives. Amen? Confess, and not just confess your sins to God. This is verbally acknowledging to one another, this is an error in my life. May God help us, and He will if we let Him.